At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. Hi, everybody. I'm alone uh, today. Sammy and Jack aren't with us because I'm uh, doing one of our interviews for the Victor Hansen show, and it's with Michael Pack. He was the former director of the U.S. Agency for Global Media uh, during the Trump administration, and he's here to talk about uh, the business of documentary films, but especially documentary films as a means of reaching people in a way that they haven't before. And he's here with his son, Thomas Pack, who runs an incubator program uh, to attract young filmmakers, documentary filmmakers, and give them advice and an environment to produce and to distribute their films. But before we go on, we'll have a brief break and I'll be right back. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, They've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Thank you very much. We're back with Michael Pack. Michael, I, I've known you a long time. One of the things uh, that I that's remarkable, you've done, I know you're on the conservative side with the rest of us, but you've done a number of films that are on wide topics that were sort of transcending Paul. I know you did that very famous one just not too recently on Clarence Thomas, but you did one with Eli Wallach as a narrator, didn't you? That's right. My very first major film called Hollywood's Favorite Heavy back in 1987, which was about how Hollywood and portrays business and businessmen, especially on primetime TV. And we went and interviewed a bunch of 
film producers and talk to them about business. And they had some interesting ideas, including like from Norman Lear to producers of Dallas and Dynasty. And Eli Wallach hosted it. Um, but I've had since then, 1987, about 15 documentaries on public television, all nationally broadcast, all award winning. And I believe that it's it does prove that conservatives can reach the broad middle, which is what we should be trying to do. I think if you tell a good story, it's it's more possible even today to sort of reach an audience. And that's what I really dedicated myself to doing now. We've we've launched a new company called Palladium Pictures. I invite your listeners to go to palladiumpictures.com, where we're going to do way more documentaries, long and short. Plus, as you just mentioned, an incubator run by my son, Thomas, that will train young filmmakers because there's really a dearth of films and television that are right of center, conservative, libertarian. And it's a problem for the country. Why do you think that even more so maybe than Hollywood, why is a documentary film, if I could use that word industry, why is it so dominated? by people on the left? And why is it used as a medium not to just enlighten or inform people, but to indoctrinate them? Well, I did write a long piece in Real Clear on yeah. uh, that in order to win, fight the culture war, conservatives need to actually make films. And I try to analyze that issue. It's still in Real Clear or it's on my Twitter feed, Michael Pack underscore. But and you make a good point. I try to deal with both documentaries and narrative feature films. But you're right. Documentaries are even more political. They were political sort of from the beginning, from the 60s. And people go in them to be advocates. I think part of the problem, part of the issue is the way that you become a documentary filmmaker. In the piece, I try to elaborate the vast ecosystem that the left has, has created over the last 50 years in their efforts to take over the culture. You know, they, as, as you know, Victor, they proposed a long march through the institutions beginning in the 60s, starting at the university where you have been, but quickly going to Hollywood and media and culture. And they've been out front and, and, and open about it. And they have been very successful. But one of the way, so the way the ecosystem now works is they have institutions all along the way to encourage young progressive filmmakers beginning in film school, which is, I think, where it all starts. There are 4,000 colleges and universities in America. Every single one has a film school. Every single one of those film schools is actually a progressive, woke institution, often advertising in its admissions brochures that it wants to train activists. Activists. Yeah. So that's how they define it. And I think it's gotten worse. I mean, I was thinking of the career of someone I know pretty well, Ken Burns, and I don't think that he would or could make that epic Civil War movie to, uh, documentary today. Do you? I don't think I they'd show it. I, I certainly do not. And and Shelby Foote, his key interview subject, yes. would, would be so politically incorrect. Uh, you know, how he would tragic references to Confederate generals like James Longstreet? So something I know it was bad. It's like academia. It's been bad. But in the last 30 years, it's transmogrified into something that's just absolutely intolerant of any other voices. It, I know when, when you was the idea of, of pointing you sort of as the global czar of, of U.S. media abroad. Was that the idea to bring 
uh, balanced back by the Trump administration. I say that because when I actually looked and followed your tenure there, it was pretty, I thought it was pretty non-controversial. I mean, people come in and they try to get a team they're comfortable with. And I know that when I was on the the commission, uh, the American Battlefields Commission that oversaw all of the, I thought it was a nonpartisan commission as a presidential appointee. But when Barack Obama came in, I think I got even before he took office a letter saying I was relieved of my duties. And I, I didn't really, I was on the 1776 commission. That was pretty obvious. I'd be relieved of my duties. But why was there so much outcry at the time that you did exactly what the left did, that you got a team that you were comfortable with? I just looked at your Wikipedia page and I was noticing that every reference there is either from NPR, the, the Daily Guardian, Washington Post or New York Times. What was it that well, you did that got them so enraged because you did what they did? Right. I even when I thought when I, I also thought my job was going to be non-political. It was I was appointed to a three year post. It's not supposed to correspond to presidential elections. But Joe Biden, a court, asked me to resign within 45 or the Biden administration within 45 minutes of the inauguration. Politico called it the Biden administration's first foreign policy move. And I also thought what I was doing was not political. We went in to try to make sure that agency fulfilled its legal mandate. So your listeners may not know the U.S. Agency for Global Media houses the five U.S. international broadcasters, the biggest being the Voice of America, but also Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, Radio Free Asia, Middle East Broadcasting, and Cuba Broadcasting. And they were all bundled under this new rubric, global media. They were. And they're together a very huge media enterprise. They have a budget of $850 million a year, almost a billion dollars. They're one of the biggest media entities in the world. They had had they had been largely controlled by the staff for many decades, and they had simply drifted left. As Ronald Reagan famously said, in the government, when you take your hands off the wheel, the car drifts left. And the hand had been off the wheel for decades. So not only had they drifted left, but they had become corrupt, you know, self-dealing and bad practices and bad security practices. And. I came in, I simply wanted these these broadcasters to fulfill their legal requirements, which is to be fair and balanced and to reflect the totality of views of the American people and not to advocate for one party or another. And that they and that is the law. And the attempt to do that met with intense opposition. I was initially shocked by it. I couldn't believe I just saw the other day that our notorious, infamous, uh, disgraced Senator Robert Menendez, he was one of the people who I remember went after you as if you were doing something that was not transparent or unethical. That must have been pretty ironic on your part. It was ironic then, but it's when he was already (laughs) one vote away from going to jail, one jury vote away from going to jail. Now it's really ironic. Yes, he he you know they they as you know, you know if you have the temerity to want to serve Donald Trump as who is president of the United States even in a le- non-political job, they pursue you. And Senator Mendez pursued me and he encouraged the DC Attorney General to go after my nonprofit and on and on. I mean they use 
the law to pursue their political enemies. And it's a horrible, horrible process. And you may have the law on your side, but you can go bankrupt defending exactly. yourself. Did you have in this time when they were doing that, were you did you feel it was part of to tie you on court to, to drain you financially and then maybe not to make documentary films? Yeah, that, I think that was his purpose. And I mean, for someone like the D.C. Attorney General, then it was Carl Racine. The new one now is still doing the same up to the same tricks. It's just a badge of honor to go after anyone connected to Trump. You know, they gain, it's a political job. They gain political points. They want to destroy your career, eliminate you as an effective maker of films, and also send a, less, a warning to anyone else who wants to serve a Republican president that, you know, you are going to be pursued. So I would not advise anybody else to take that job if a Republican regains the presidency. It's simply not worth it. And that's what they want, though, it, isn't it? To create deterrence that, that is, if you that come is, in, that if, is what, yeah, if you're going to be a head of global media, then you're going to we're going to do a Michael Pack on you. Yeah. I mean, they take the media seriously on the left. They thought of this as their own playground. And you're right, especially the NPR and the Washington Post, but all other liberal media organizations who have friends in these organizations went after me. The head of NPR was my predecessor. The Washington Post is, you know, used to be owned by the Graham family and Don Graham was is married to the former head of the Voice America and the current head of the US Agency for Global Media. So they had an interest in going after me. They cared about it. The Washington Post alone, I was there 8 months in office. They they wrote 40 pieces about me. 40 mm. including four editorials and four op-eds including one by Amanda Bennett. You know, four editorials. The last one was Trump, Putin, and me. I said to my wife, who you know, we're the three most powerful men in the world. But she did not believe me, Victor. Um, so I don't I don't know where I know just something similar where I work is. And you probably know Scott Atlas, but he was he was yeah. one of the internationally recognized neuroradiologists. He was an expert on health policy and he had the brashness to suggest very early on that the meta-analysis of dozens of studies showed that mask wearing and social distancing and especially an absolute quarantine would lead to uh, effects that could be in theory worse than the virus itself and he that was the end that was all it took and then they destroyed his career and i i would walk with him on the stanford campus and people would walk the other way or they would sign petitions. It was it was personal. I, I guess the message maybe, Michael, is to warn all filmmakers, writers, professors, anybody in the arts and humanities, you take out insurance if you're on the left. And if you're not, you don't have insurance. So if you're Joe Biden yesterday and you call an African-American boy, there's no consequences. And that that's true of everything you do. But if you don't take out leftist insurance and join kind of like the nomenclature, then we're going to go after you. And that, I guess to young people, that can be that can be unfortunately persuasive. That is really the message. And and I, too, not quite like Scott Atlas, but perhaps at a lower volume. I had lots of people counsel me and cease talking to me. And we got death threats, you know, and because, you know, and it's really it's a it's a very shocking thing. But I I. I'm undaunted. I do not plan to stop making documentaries. In fact, 
I'm redoubling my efforts, which is where you have to go. And I guess Scott Atlas is going there, too. Yeah. What are you we doing? Have- so right. So cutting to the quick, what are you what's your documentary film project right now? And then what are you and Thomas trying to do for the field in general? Well, we I've launched a new company, Palladium Pictures, that will do something similar to what we have been doing, but more of it, more long form documentaries, more short films. And I, and I I feel that we need that there's a problem that this my article addresses this and that there's sort of a dearth of people on our side, not only because of this effort to harass and silence them, but because of this vast training system that the left has from film schools on to bring people to to nurture progressive woke talent. So you know, uh, who else? we need other people making documentaries that could be on PBS. Uh, on our side, we do a good job or a pretty good job of preaching to the choir. People make films and documentaries that, you know, excite, you know, excite the most passionate people on the right. But we need to reach people in the middle. And, and I've always driven to do that. And that's why I've been happy to have my films on PBS. But we need more people who are capable of doing that, of telling stories through film. So we have started an incubator to train the next generation of young filmmakers, which is run by my son, Thomas, who's here with me. And the, the goal is to, well, I will let Thomas tell the goal, but, the, but, but, the, but the, the overarching goal is to bring more people into this film and teach them how to tell stories. The left does a, an actually better job at it than we do. And we need to learn the techniques. They're not that hard. And we need to develop these people and find ways for them to, you know, have a career. So, Thomas, maybe so Thomas, should... let me ask you. Uh, so I let's say Victor is a filmmaker or a wannabe <laughs> filmmaker. Of course, I don't have that talent. And I come to you and I hear about you. And I said, I've got a great idea to make a film uh, about the political culture, maybe of the San Joaquin Valley from the Oklahoma diaspora to Cesar Chavez. Not, what, what do you mm-hmm. tell me? Good subject. Yeah, I think Victor, you probably could make a great film. Yeah, you, know, you have have a vast amount of knowledge in these things. Um, but before I answer, just one quick thing on what we were just saying is, you know, as you as you alluded to, Victor, there was some attempt to go after our, our company, Manifold Productions, that made previous documentaries, um, and we were fortunate, you know, that as a result of it, instead of being, you know, stomped down, we now have this. You have more capabilities with this company, Palladium Pictures, and we're going to make more stuff. So you had more after they went after you? So, so, was, that, so, was that a result that that because you were a nonprofit, you had more people interested in what they were doing and they were they stepped up and financially supported your nonprofit? Well, we it, it, well, Palladium Pictures is for profit. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, we have been able to get grants to allied nonprofits, but it's more like the people who supported my films in the past. They did recognize their merit and they did appreciate that we were fighting back and, you know, fighting back. Look, they want you to they, they want you not to fight back. They want you to declare to, to slink away. But if you fight back, it's true you make enemies, but you make new friends. And some people respect you for doing that. And because of that. We our new company is at least for the beginning pretty well funded. We will need fun, more funds going on, but we have had support. 
because of that. And I think also because of the success of the Clarence Thomas film. Right. So, so we're in a fortunate position that way. But what I was going to say about it is that uh, it sort of has, you know, opened our eyes to the fact that we can't really be alone in this space. There just needs to be a lot more and there needs to be a lot more happening. So part of the idea with the incubator is that it's a network effect. You know, we're committed to doing this every year, to taking you know, filmmakers that that need the career springboard and, you know, helping them build out a great short film. Uh, and every year there'll be a couple fellows out of it and it will start to turning that flywheel um, and and just cre- increasing the number. So will, they, will they will they do you have us? Will they travel to you or do they stay remotely and then they send you versions of a, and they're more short there. These young filmmakers then would submit shorter 10 to 15 minutes that's right they're yeah five we say five to 15 minute films they're not coming to us these people will be making it on their own so we're uh-huh. only looking for producer directors people that demonstrate in their application that they have some talent and that they have the ability to put together a crew maybe not victor produce a film maybe maybe are, are you going to be a distributor then you are sort of a distributor yeah. uh you you handle Distribution, public relations, advertising, all that whole problem. I think a lot of our listeners are baffled. I am. When you make a documentary film, it's 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 um, I guess unless you're Michael Moore of the past, it's hard to make to have revenue to cover the cost of production, isn't it? That's right. And especially documentary shorts, which is what these are. It's hard to figure out how to get them out there, which is why we're, we're fortunate to have you know, in our 40 plus years of existence, yeah. built out some distribution channels. So what we'll do is we'll fully fund the film uh, if for anyone that's accepted in the program, and then we'll executive produce it. So we'll look at their cuts, you know, they'll get mentorship from Michael Pack. Um, and then the distribution, we, we will, um, we'll, we'll use these channels that we've been, you know, building and try to get it out there so people see it. And at the end, we will own the film. Be a Palladium Pictures production. You know these aren't grants. I see. They're sort of. Is there is there still? I know I've had some filmmakers ask me to speak at their, but is there still an audience for people to th- literally or th- concretely go to a film uh, to a theater and watch it, or is it going to be all downloaded and on internet, TV, all of that stuff? Do, do people still go to the doc? Do they ever? have a big crowd go to a documentary film well the the clarence thomas film was released in theaters first i mean it was a two-hour film right right before COVID, it 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 premiered in january of 2020 we were in over 110 theaters before COVID came and shut things down and i have to say dinesh d'souza regularly gets his films in movie theaters and, and i think you can um who knows where what the future of movie theaters per se is um but as thomas says these are going to be shorts there's some room for shorts in movie theaters but but not so much you know so these are these are sort of early efforts by people not their first but their first maybe significant shorts so eventually you can you, they might be able to make a long form film for theaters but not so much how, how yeah. many do you envision you would be able to uh produce and distribute each year um i think you know the goal will be to get to a point where we're making you know four or five a year of these and it doesn't it doesn't need to expand too far out of that 
I mean, I think, Victor, to be honest, you know, if we someone gave us the funding right now to make a film school, you know, we couldn't do it because there's not enough conservative film teachers or film students. You know, so this is this is step one to try to sort of start building out these institutions of which the left has a lot of in the. It seems in like the, that would be really good because I, I know that Larry Arndt is a good friend of mine and he at Hillsdale, they've talked about having a film school. I, and they now have graduate programs as well. I know that uh, the University of Austin, this new university, has been talking about things like that. And so I, I think what you're doing in film is uh, analogous to what they're doing in academia. And it, I think the same, the same uh, kind of bewilderment arises, and that is where I work at Stanford, part of me says it's hopeless and you write it off. And then you go and I teach at Hillsdale every year during my vacation or Pepperdine or another venue. And then half of you says, well, wait a minute. That wasn't their university. I, my mother went there in 1939. My aunt went there in 1937. They both got stayed on for seven years and got graduate degrees. Mm. My cousin's sister who went there. My nephew went there. I went there. Who says it's belongs to a bunch of students that happen to be there for four years and are a bunch of Silicon Valley grandees that hijacked the board of trustees. And uh, so is there any chance that these film schools or that people, there's a concentrated effort where we say, wait a minute, USC, USC film school does not belong to just a contemporary group of people that have hijacked it. And we're not, because the people who founded it may have not envisioned what it became. And is there a chance that with this, I think we're in a kind of a counter revolution. I wonder. So I, I think we need to have alternate new institutions like you're developing, but I think also we have to have a simultaneously effect not to write off the battlefield and say they won. They 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 hijacked all the Ford Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation. It's not theirs to take. I agree with that completely. You know, we have to do both those things. We, have, we cannot simply write off in the university setting. We cannot write off, you know, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, et cetera, and give it to the left. It, it, we, we That's like declaring defeat. Uh, much as I support both Hillsdale and the University of Austin. Now, in the film world, um, it's a little different in, in some ways because it's a, closer to a free market and we can more easily build our own institutions, find our own producers, get our own distribution. Film schools are, are different. You know, USC, UCLA, NYU, those are the three big ones. And I think forever we should try to take them back. But in the meantime, we need these other institutions further along the way. I mean, they have everything. As I said, there are 4,000 colleges and universities. Everyone has a film school. Every film school is on the left. They start by getting these people who say they train self, self-consciously. They train activists, people who want to be activists. So they're graduating hundreds of thousands of year and creaming off the top 3 or 4% that have talent. We have no winnowing process. But then these people are encouraged all along the way. 
There are training programs for them. There are funding sources, as you say, Ford and MacArthur and Rockefeller, as well as for-profit companies that are dedicated to progressive values, as well as distribution sources like Amazon run by Jeff Bezos and Netflix with Reed Hastings that are consciously affiliated with the Democratic Party at the very least. So we, we, but unlike with the university, we can start some of these things from scratch pretty quickly. In the case of Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, and USC Film School, for that matter, you can't start a new one. They've established this vast reputation. You've got to win them back. Yeah. Where, where, do you, where are you going to be based? Your, is it going to be in Southern California or Washington? Well, we, we are, our company is based in Washington, D.C., but uh, for the incubator program, people can do this anywhere they like in the, in the continental United States. So they will do some site visits, but really there are, they need to be able to produce the film uh, themselves. That's why this is for, you know, right of center producer directors that know how to make a film. Um, and I'll, I'll also add to it, what you were just saying, you know, in, in education, there's sort of an instinctual feeling uh, that people have that education impacts culture, not just so. So the reason we create these counter institutions isn't just for our kids. It's for the children of America. And, and there's counter institutions all along the process in education from high school through college, through you graduate school, you know, for teachers and alum, you know, alumni and, the, you know, the professors, there's all sorts of right of center organizations trying to take back the education system. And in some cases, it works really well in the path to be a lawyer, for example, I think because of Faro Society and others, uh, you know, these alternative institutions have helped a lot. Um, but there's this tendency to give up on film and to give up on culture because there's a sense that maybe the right isn't good at it and they're not creative or something. But we sort of reject that. We feel like you like you're saying do you have any out do you have out do you have correspondence with allies with in hollywood you know in the commercial film because there are aren't there stealthy or uh conservatives under the there are a very very few very few I mean, we but we're in the documentary business the documentary business do they ever overlap at all do people go back and forth between the two not very often documentaries and feature films yeah, yeah. they do I mean, Werner Herzog, a very famous German filmmaker, also is a very famous and skilled documentary filmmaker. Spike Lee has made both yeah. feature films and documentaries. Ava DuVernay, she's made both feature films and documentaries. It's not uncommon on the left to go back and forth, but they have a bigger pool to talk in you the first Would you ever envision a conservative documentary film festival? Or is there one now? I, well, you know... There's a libertarian one at, at, that's part of Freedom Fest called Anthem, but they're not enough actual, you know, you know, you, the, the, there's a you, you get into sort of a chicken and the egg thing. You know, you need a lot of content to justify it. And then there's no content. You need producers. The producers need the festivals. They need the distribution. You kind of have to create these things with great simultaneity. And I think that any effort in this area is to be commended. There are a few little efforts. I salute all of them. I, and I, even though I have perhaps tried to differentiate our films from those that preach to the choir, I'm in favor of films that preach to the choir. I'm in favor of more films uh, that are right of center of every sort and every possible. Th so I support the Anthem Film Festival, in fact. When I, when I looked at your, uh, when I remember your Clarence 
Thomas, but you were able to get that on PBS, weren't you? Yeah. How did you, I, how did you do that? Well, I've had 15 films uh, on PBS going away, going back to the one that you mentioned earlier, Hollywood's favorite heavy in 1987. Look, I mean, like the voice of America, they too have a legal, legal obligation to reflect the views of the American people. And once upon a time, they at least had, you know, tokenism. They had a token right of center television. William F. Buckley's firing line, for example. Yeah, I remember. It seems like C-SPAN has a little has stayed more of all these public entities. They've stayed the closest to their mission statement. I I think C-SPAN has, and they are really to be commended. Uh, But I I think, look, conservatives could still get their programming on PBS. But as Thomas said earlier, it's no longer the only choice. There are many other ways to get out there, and we will kind of look and explore them. I mean, there are... Every newspaper magazine also makes videos, and we're in the process of aligning with one major news organization, but they all need video content, and they particularly need these short videos, not my two-hour Clarence Thomas film. And and the left has done a good job in that, in that too. My, my favorite example of this is the New York Times Opdocs. The New York Times has these five to 15 minute or sometimes longer documentaries that they have gotten very prestigious documentary filmmakers to make as well as newcomers. And they're among the most successful videos on the New York Times website. So they are very active in doing that. I I mean, another example on the long form side is the New York Times has the 1619 Project and they've managed to get it into a book. They have managed to get it a Pulitzer Prize and now they have a multi-part Netflix series on the 1619 Project, very well funded. And very well distributed and now nominated for an Emmy. We can sort of do the same. We could push these things forward. Uh, I would like to see, Victor, people, even though we're very happy to be doing our incubator, I would like it to be part of a renaissance of these kind of projects. And it would take conservative donors recognizing this as important, as important as their willingness to fund, say, political campaigns or academics or conferences. It, it makes a difference. I think Peter Schweitzer's Accountability Center, he was the yeah. first one really to show that docu- that damning scene of Joe Biden talking about firing Victor Schaefer. Yeah. I remember that. He he had a, uh, a, I don't know if it was a film documentary, but, and he didn't, I mean, he wasn't that political. He just said, look, this has never been examined before and then that brought attention to it is there a certain project you guys are working on michael now uh, aside from the incubator project a film that you're envisioning you might want to do yeah we are working our long-form documentary we are working on a documentary on the events in seattle in the summer of 2020. wow you no doubt followed that story victor but a lot of people especially in the who are not conservative sort of missed it you know they uh, the the fact is, according to the Washington Post, there there are twelve documentaries coming out about January sixth. For the left, that's what what could be better. They want to talk about it endlessly. How many documentaries are coming out about what happened in the entire rest of the country in the summer of twenty twenty? No, it just drives me crazy. I I I finally get letters from readers who say, Victor. Don't talk about it anymore. You you beat that 
uh, summer of 2020 because there were 14,000 arrests, $2 billion in damage, 1,500 police officers, maybe 35, 40 killed, arson, looting. And that crazy thing by Kamala Harris right before she was nominated, when she threatened and said, this is not going to stop, nor it should stop. I just remember all the fact checkers were just terrified. So they immediately said, well, she didn't mean any of the bad stuff. She was just meaning that the, and then that Molly Ball in February, 2020, she wrote that incriminating essay in Time Magazine where she outlined the entire strategy of winning the 2020 election. Yeah. And then, and almost nonchalantly, she said, and then we reached out for pe- to people on the street and we were ready to wind down or start up the demonstrations. It really, it's in your preliminary research, if you, it seems to be a lot more coordinated than we than we ever thought. It wasn't just ad hoc, as people suggested. Well, the, the, the I mean, the the the, bi- the bigger things that you mentioned, sure, you know that that's right. I mean, but I think that you're right, Victor. This was really a seminal event in American history. I think it's it is. Probably forgotten. I, I mean, you know, it's it's similar ish to the. Uh, riots in the the in the 60s and it, it, it is i had a colleague who got angry at me because i wrote about it and he said well they didn't attack the capitol and i said hold on they attacked they tried to burn down a police precinct with people in it they attacked a federal courthouse they partly burned a iconic Episcopalian church across from the White And then they wanted to storm the White House grounds to such a degree that the Secret Service took Trump underneath into the bunker. It was almost analogous to the uh, same. It was much more widespread than the January 6th and more violent. It is, it, that is really true. And, and needless to say, they needn't even be compared. This was a huge and highly significant event across the country involving a huge number of people. So we are... Focusing in on the stories. Do you have of, a, t- a tentative title yet? We don't really, but we're focused on we're on Seattle, which is, I think, a good case to look at. Yeah. Because that so, I, I stayed in Seattle during right during after that during the COVID lockdown. I went up to speak, and I went over to the uh, what was it called, Chaz or Chase? They changed the name. Chaz and Chop. Yes, yes, Chop and Chaz were the guy with the AR-15 sort of declared himself a king of his own little domain, and they let him do it. And I, a it, Russian it, taxi tra- driver drove me up there. I could not believe it. He had the whole area just as, uh, and I remember I was staying there, and they were appropriating entire intersections at night to do uh, brodies with cars, and people were shooting guns, and I got a knock on the hotel window when they said, Mr. Hansen, there was only about five people in the hotel, but it was overlooking that because of COVID, the intersection. And they asked me to go to the other side of the hotel because they couldn't guarantee that shots being fired from the bottom of the street might not hit. It was complete chaos. That's I hope you can. I, it, it, it seems like a very ambitious two hour documentary. <laughs> It it might end up being longer, but it but it is sort of ambitious, and, and I mean it's a very complicated, complex story, you know, and it involves. I mean, yeah, it's true that they that so that 
this people, the protests in Seattle were protesting in front of the East Precinct police station. And then the police deserted the station. It wasn't under attack, but they feared it might be. And they walked away from it and they allowed the protesters to control six square blocks. Protesters didn't ask for it. They allowed them to do it. They allowed them to erect barriers. The police and the fire would not go into that area. So if you had a 911 call, you had to get out of the area to be treated. It was an amazing moment. And a lot Whatever of what happened to Mr. What I forgot his name, the, the king of well, shops or whatever. He wasn't really the king, but he was it, true. As Simone, he was he. So what happened is you know, they had this autonomous zone, which they were they had to control. And they the protesters had to set up rules and they very quickly they had their own medics. They had their <laughs> free food. They had. They needed security so that people volunteered to be security and would patrol this area with AK-47s, Raz Simone among them. And that happened for three weeks until there were two murders in, in Chaz. I remember that. The second one were two unarmed or the two unarmed teenagers driving around in a in a car, a stolen car, actually. And you're not supposed to be in Seattle, in Seattle doing it and in Chaz doing it. And they were shot and killed. And no one knows yet who killed them. So, wow, I remember the, their father was. And, very, and then they shut it down. Yeah. We're going to be right back uh, after a brief message. And then we'll uh, conclude with Michael and Thomas Pack and more on their film projects in a minute. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping, visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back with Michael and Tom Pack. So... When do you think you'll start on this, uh, I guess, summer of 2020? We're working, we're working on that now. Now. And, and, and you know, everything everything is live. People can go to our website, palladiumpictures.com. And they can also apply to the incubator, right, right Thomas? Right. And they can follow along on social media. We're going we're gonna to produce a lot of different 
uh, stuff, including that film. Uh, that one, I think, is important to note. To note that one will really have a big audience, I think. I think it will. But, you know, we're going to tell the story from all sides. And we're really interested, actually, in what the protesters have to say and being fair to their viewpoint. So I think sure. that. There's that. I think it's a complex story with a lot of different sides to what it. What was? What do you think their viewpoint was? The Chaz people. Well, Victor, we're going to have to you know get to the bottom of it, and people are going to have to watch. But I think uh, it. I think it, it's varied. There's actually many different factions in that group, um, and they have a lot to say. And I think part of our method with with filmmaking is we try to make something that is That's has a true. universal appeal so this is not just going to be for people who are upset about that but just to show what happened to you know correct the record and do real journalism uh and we're going to try to teach real journalism they had kind of spinoffs didn't they there was one in washington dc where that you see that they actually formal formal or institutionalized it with the blm Corridor. And one in um, there's an attempt at one in Portland as well. Yeah, uh, so yeah. It's an interesting thing, and there's not. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're the historian, but I don't think there's a ton of historical precedent for, you know, trying to do self government within the country. Well, like, had, this. yeah, they had they did it a little bit during the um, bounty strike or a bonus strike, and after World War One, the veterans were denied some of their promised uh, bonuses for their pensions and they took over Washington, D.C. and they created a little individual town and then it was very controversial what to do with them and Douglas MacArthur got rid of them and he used, he wasn't, he wasn't shy about using inordinate force but we've had a few of those things and we had that sort of poverty city, Ralph Abernathy, when we were, Michael and I were young, they took over the Washington Mall Hmm. for a while but nothing nothing that was right was birthed and from the beginning through violence like that i don't remember anything like that people like but, to mention there's commune here but i i think like you know I, there's a lot to it we're going to try to show people how to tell stories like this i mean the compelling thing about that is it's a show don't tell it's not about saying our viewpoint on anything it's about something that the mainstream media is ignoring and not telling the story. And so, um, which, you know, I mean, unfortunate for America, but fortunate for us in documentary film that so many great stories are not being told, uh, which is why we need more filmmakers. Uh, many, just out of curiosity, how many uh, traditionalist, conservative, libertarian documentary filmmakers that that have had success with films are there in the United States? Is 2030? I think, I mean, I think we're seeing increasingly more coming out. Uh, there's a lot more, there's a lot, there's a, there's a bit of a shakeup in the, in the, in film right now. And, you know, streaming services are having trouble and right wing, you know, streaming services are, are kind of thriving. There's uh, major conservative films coming out, like what is a woman and that type of thing. But uh, there's not a lot doing like, what we do, which is trying to talk to the mainstream, um, well, very few. I well, don't know. Well, what you well say. that's right. I mean, and you're right, Thomas, to emphasize that we want all sides to speak in every one of our stories, including the the, the Chaz Chop one. But yeah, of of ones that are highly skilled documentary producers at the at the level that we are at, there are very very few. That's right. We think. We think there's a growing talent pool of people who have been maybe doing video for. 
conservative institutions like Heritage or maybe even Hoover and and that could make a documentary and have developed skills. So that we think there's a possible talent pool that we can develop and nurture. Um, but the ones that have so far succeeded are few. And 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 the efforts to do it though are, are not that great. I mean, we 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 need to encourage people to, to understand what it means to tell stories. You are really great at this, Victor. And all of your great works on on the classic on classical battles in the classical world, you know, you, you are telling this, you retell the story in the course of making your points. And we need to do, develop that, as Thomas is saying, among, among filmmakers. Now there are a few, but there but there can be more. And I think I, that's <laughs> it's, I think it's really important. I think on this podcast we have this reoccurring topic that comes up, and I say that from people who write in and want to discuss it. And it's there in, in the conservative movement or the traditionalist movement, as I use that term as well. There's almost a monastery of the mind where people have been so discouraged. And we see it with these great exoduses and diasporas of people moving out to Tennessee from California or Idaho. And you talk to them. And I talk to them a lot out here in the San Joaquin Valley. And, and they just have a, you say, have you been to a movie? I don't, I, I don't go to theaters. I'm sorry. How about who's the anchor person? I don't watch any network news. I haven't seen CNN in 20 years. How about the Grammy? I haven't, I don't even know the Grammys, the Emmys, the Tonys, the Oscars. I won't watch it. You watch uh, the Lakers. I won't turn on the Los Angeles Lakers. I do not watch uh, football. And they've completely dropped out of the culture. And it's really reflected. I was very curious about that. And I wrote a couple of columns. When you look at the audience for the Oscars or you look at the NBA finals now versus 30 years ago, it's about 10% of its audience, television audience. So a lot of people on our side, whether it's homeschooling or moving to rural areas or dropping out of popular culture, they've seeded because they feel it's so unfair or they've been, their values are ridiculed or stereotyped. They've just seeded it. And I really think we need something what you guys are doing to bring them back into the arena. Because if we don't, I mean, one of the problems in California, as you know, as a Californian that, that when you directed the Claremont Institute is when 600,000 of your top citizens leave as they have the last 18 months, then you wonder why PG&E doesn't work or Southern California Edison doesn't work or you can't get anybody to, at the government uh, franchise board to give you the right tech. We, we're just drain. It's a brain drain in California. And I wish people would stay and keep up the fight, at least, because the left is just, as you said before, a corporate boardroom and K through 12 and professional sports, entertainment, academia, foundations. It, it's just amazing how they, without a majority of popular support on any of these issues of the times, they've, they've been able to project and enact an agenda without popular support because of their calculated aggrandizement of these institutions, one of which is, as you know, when you is the film industry, what you've talked about today. It, it, it's, it's an amazing transformation of America, and we have to transform it back. We have to. 
And I agree with you. You can't seed these institutions or whole states like California. You, you know, we America is a great country with a great principles and traditions. And we have to we have to fight for it and win it back. The, the, to retreat from the battle is a tremendous mistake. We made this point at the beginning of our talk. It's true now to this way too. I think it is. I got a, a call not too long ago, or a conversation from a pretty important guy in Silicon Valley. He said, why don't you write about this? And I said, what? And he said, we're into the third year of woke admissions at Stanford, and they're not woke admissions, they're repertory admissions. So they're racial quotas, and they threw out the SAT, and they expect me to hire people on previous fumes of meritocracy. But if I look at the type of people who have come out of Stanford the last two or three years, I would much rather hire a Georgia Tech electrical engineer. And that university and all of these universities uh, are losing their cachet that they've developed over a century, and they can lose it very quickly when the employer sees that there are no standards. You see it everywhere. I had another professor who said to me, if you're grading at Stanford a couple of the first year classes, you either inflate your grading standards or you reduce your workload or you become a target if you keep standards up of systematic discrimination and you're going to be on the, on the, the gaze of the DEI new czar. So we're in a period of transformation. It seems to me that the left has enacted this Jacobin revolution and it's really starting to take its toll on, on it, uh, institutions. And I think there's going to be a counter counter push. I'm glad you guys are. I, I think film is a good place to, to start. And documentaries are a good place within film. It's very hard to transform the university back. It's been a conservative project at least since, you know, Alan Bloom's book in the 80s and maybe since God and Man at Yale. Yeah. But but I think film is a relatively free market. These other institutions are hard to win over and the government is hard to change. We can make these films. We can tell these stories. Let me know? ask you a final question of our interview today. So okay. Republicans come in and their counter revolution successful and they take the Senate. They have the House and they take the White House and they said, you know, Michael Pack did such a great job as a director of the global agency, a global a director of U.S. agency of global media, and we want him back. Would you do it? I would. I would be pretty reluctant to to do it again. I have been advising people who are preparing to do it another time. That's a great idea. You could have this sort of adjunct program where you could lend your expertise for people who could go into government, and these. That's a very important thing to do, don't you think? It, it's a matter really of holding those agencies to their legal mandate. You know, we found a virtual Biden ad that they were running on one of the services. They have to really, you know, at the very at the at the at least they want to be like CNN or MSNBC, who they think of as the peak of journalism. But those are the products of for-profit companies. This is a government agency. It's funded by the American people at the tune of almost a billion a year. It has an obligation to not be partisan and to promote core American ideas and values around the world and, and, and present our view, our worldview, contrary to China's and Iran's and, and, and Russia's. But it is not doing that. And it is very, very hard to change it. I'm not super optimistic that we'll be able to do it. The bureaucracy was so resistant and so dug in 
I feel the next president has a very, very tough job, tougher than Thomas and my job in the documentary film world. Do you think uh, you would ever expand on your real clear um, recent essay and maybe make it a semi-autobiographical account of what you saw there and what needs to be changed? I, I, I consider it. I might. I know uh, Roger Kimball at Encounter Books probably be very interesting. Yeah, yeah. That would, right. be a, that would be a wonderful public service to write what you saw and how it could be changed. Right. Well, I mean, I think this this whole, you know, doing the, the you know, it's easy to be a downer about changing things through the government. But I think in the in the film world, at least, you know, as you're saying, Victor, these people that aren't watching anything. It's not like they don't want to watch something. No, and they want to watch things. That's absolutely right. And we saw it with Sound of Freedom and in the music world, you know, we're seeing these country songs. The culture bursts yeah. through. It really does. Like there's a, you know, there's a, there's a free market in film and because the conservative story is the pro-America story, there's a lot of room there to tell stories that are especially compelling. Um, so for us with this program, you know, uh, we are offering full funding mentorship from Michael Pack and help with distribution for uh, filmmakers that are already pro- that are producer directors. And we feel like that's that's step one. And listeners and that, you should know, apply, right? And listeners should apply or if they know anyone that might might be a fit for this, they should pass it along because um, I think it's a. It's it's going to start moving that flywheel. I, 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 think could... it, it, I think that you're right. It's a, it's a wonderful time to launch this pro- project because you can see indications of it, whether in the weirdest places, the pushback against Disney or Target or the Los Angeles Dodgers or Bud Light or Jason Aldean's Don't Try That in a Small Town or Oliver Anthony, which I thought was a really great song, Richmond, North of Richmond. And it's and a you, you it's, can see the evidence sort of, you say about the, the films about child trafficking. It's it's there and it's it needs it needs to be sort of like an eggshell. And if everybody taps in their own manner and their own station constantly, at some point, this whole left wing charade is going to crack and explode. I, I, I think it's a modest project compared to what you were talking about with film school and film festivals. But I see all of it coming together and we're already seeing something breaking down on the left because people are not as interested in movies that ha- are all about grievance studies and people are really no, they're, there's they're not. And you saw with Oliver Anthony, he, he filmed his he filmed his videos on his cell phone and he was the first person to be number one on all almost all the charts. And you could have a, a filmmaker who could do a 30 minute. Who knows? But if he hit the right chord in the right fashion, it could easily go viral in the same technological landscape. Anyway, uh, thank you for coming on. And when you have, uh, I would really like to uh, see the first cut of your uh, Seattle film. And when you do, I I hope you can come back on. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody. Uh, We had Thomas and Michael Pack discussing their new film project, which is an incubator uh, it's not an internship. It's a way of distributing and marketing and helping out young documentary filmmakers, as well as uh, Michael's illustrious career is continuing with an ongoing uh, project about 
that does that I don't want to the summer of 2020 and what we saw. Thank you very much.